The Happy Zen Podcast is fueled by Deadly Grounds Coffee. With so many delicious blends to choose from, it's simply the best tasting coffee for the living or the dead. Get Deadly at www.deadlygroundscoffee.ca and tell them we sent you by using the promo code HAPPYZEN, that's H-A-P-P-Y-X-E-N, at checkout to get a killer 15% off your entire order. And now, on to the show. Some said they couldn't do it. Even more said they probably shouldn't. But here they are, bringing you another episode of the Happy Zen Podcast. Welcome your hosts, Adam and Matt. All right, we are back for another episode of the Happy Zen Podcast. Uh, Matt here with Adam. Say hello, Adam. Hey, how's it going? And we have a special guest with us today. Uh, he is the man behind the indie web comic masterpiece, and I don't use that term lightly, Robbie and Bobby, and the new masterpiece are soon to be My Dad is Dracula, which he is currently pumping out nearly daily. His name is Jason Poland. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hi, Matt. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Pleasure, Jason. We strangely seem to be drawn to, maybe not strangely, we're, we're drawn to creative types I thought you were going to say Jasons. I thought you were going to say we're drawn to we're, Jasons. We're drawn to Jasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our, our only guests have been Jasons, and it's kind of weird. Now, um, we, we seem to be drawn to uh, creative types, and I don't know if it's because it's kind jealousy. of fascinating to... Well, yeah, jealousy, uh, maybe. <laughs> but it's fascinating to us, I think, as well, just because to see people, and not just creatively but it, in business as well to people that are able to create something from nothing or or build up something that was smaller into something much bigger and just that drive uh, it's kind of nice to have guests like that because it also maybe g- gives us a little bit of a push now and then to uh you know get going <laughs> yeah it does for a day we really need to act upon it like when we finish and jason re-inspires us to do things we need to do that tonight because once tomorrow hits we just don't really do very well of it yeah, I can give you all some homework. Some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as you're prepared for me to not do that homework, or at least to not do it well. But I mean, other than that, we're good. Yeah, we uh, we started out, when we started out, we, uh, for whatever reason, thought it was a good idea to actually involve, quote, homework oh. in our show. And that did not last long, because we realized that, uh, you know, having a life on top of work on top of this, there wasn't a whole lot of time for forced homework you know we're not we're not good at that so homework's probably not great for for us but <laughs> i will say I a, I, yeah i was a good student but it wasn't about the homework yeah we have come prepared or i have come prepared at the very least uh, i have too thank you you're, you're ready okay good so as i said in the introduction jason you've created uh, a couple comics now now i i'm only really aware of the two that I mentioned, Robbie and Bobby and my dad is Dracula. Um, before I get too far into this, is there others that you've, uh, you've worked on? Hmm. That's funny. You asked that. Now I have to actually think, um, not that I'll say I've done like a few little side 
drawings for like zines and things, but not no ongoing series as of such. Mm -hmm. I will say I did when I was I was in a creative slump once. I mean, not, I'm, I've been in a lot of creative slumps, but one of one of them, I came up with this character called Floppy Donut because that's personified how I felt. And that was a, a, a some sort of a, a short running series. And uh, I finally got back on my feet. But uh, my friend Keith McLean started an online petition to bring back Floppy Donut. <laughs> so there, there was a calling for that character. Maybe a lot of people can relate. Yes, can we find Floppy Donut online somewhere? (laughs) I will, uh, we can, I'll find them for you and put them in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take them out of the archives. Yeah. Um, All right, well, I guess just to start off simple, straightforward, how did you get into doing comics? Is it something that uh, you've always wanted to do? Were you inspired by a particular comic or or artist or, you know, how did that start? Oh, yeah, right. So, um... So I grew up with newspaper strips, which I imagine maybe a lot of our listeners did as well. Um, of course, I love Calvin and Hobbes and The Far Side and um, and Foxtrot. Um, so I would like cut these out. I'd put them up my desk. And so I would, you know, plagiarize and stuff. I did have a long running like Mega Man comic series I drew, like nice. just blat- blatant ripoff. Um I think my mom got me like some uh, like newsprint. And so I'd make like actual comic books like that. Um, And then um, I guess in college is when I started Robbie and Bobby. Uh, We had a college newspaper. It was printed five days a week. And that really got me into like the routine of drawing every day, drawing a comic every day. And and they paid they paid their cartoonist. It was amazing. I I honestly like I probably got paid more in college for <laughs> for drawing comics than I do now. I will say on, on a regular basis, seven dollars and twenty five cents a strip. Wow. Yeah. That's a, You're like, I'm going to stay in college for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I'm about I think I'm maybe cusping that. But I will say um, they rejected my first proposal. Um, which is probably good. And then, and then finally they accepted the Robbie and Bobby concept. So um, I will say the reason I probably the reason I submitted is like a little bit of that. Like I could probably, I think I can do better attitude. Like I saw the strips and I was like, I could do this. And so, well, you know, after they rejected my first idea, I, uh, that was some good, some good, um, we say humble pie, but uh, so, (laughs) Jason, when you hit that roadblock, when they, you know, that happened to you, did they give you any, any feedback on, on like they, why? Yeah, well, they gave me some good pointers. I think, I think when I first submitted my first idea, like I didn't, I only had like a rough concept and maybe like one strip. And then they, they basically were like, draw like two weeks worth of comics and, you know, 10 strips and see and bring those back. And like when I had a stack, it, I think I got in the groove of it. It felt like I could make me make more than 10 and like they liked them and it was, it was enough for them to see like a running concept. So I think that's the biggest thing with a comic strip is like nothing really stands on its own. Like they are almost more funny when you know that there's going to be another one or that they all work together. Like it's, you know, it's um, repetition. So was Robbie and Bobby just in college or did you carry that uh, forward after you were finished? 
Yeah. So, um, that's, that was in 2003, I think when I started Robbie and Bobby and that ran until I graduated in 2006. And then I had sort of a hiatus, um, after I left for my first job out of college. Um, and then I, like, that's where I kind of struggled because I didn't really know what to do from there because my whole concept was like, I put them in a newspaper and I, like my dream was to have them in like an indie newspaper or something. Cause that was still a uh, thriving or at least in its last gasps uh, during that era. And so I didn't, you know, the whole idea of putting them online was such a, like a frontier for me at that time. Um, but I eventually got, got into that. And then, so they kind of came back. Um, I got a Wacom tablet and 20, maybe two, 2010. And that's when they made, like when I went kind of had my Renaissance um, of Robbie and Bobby and they, they ran, I think I drew, until like 2017 and that's when i started my dad's dracula i was uh i was gonna say because i did notice um i've got what i believe is the first collected um robbie and bobby book and it does look like sort of the um the style sort of changed over uh over time from the beginning of the book to uh maybe a, th- a quarter of the way in i didn't know if that was the case of going from like a pen and paper s- sort of thing to more of a, a digital only or was it just a an evolution of your style or what happened there? Well, kind of both. Like, um, you know, the, um, I think you have the yellow volume. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's all digital, but that was such like, um, I had never drawn digitally before then. And so you'll kind of see like, like if you look at my first Wacom tablet, I was pressing so hard on the tablet. Like this is, this isn't the like kind with the screen. It's like the separate peripheral. I was like gouging, into the tablet because i was so used to just like pressing into to a physical medium of paper and then the nub on the on the little stylus pens was also ground to like a just like a scratching uh (laughs) like a little yeah you could even see like where i would go up with the 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 pen to hit save there's like a embedded uh desire path on the the tablet so yeah that was kind of a learning curve there so you're gonna see what looks like I guess I'd call it the like cave drawing versions of those Robbie <laughs> and Bobby, but it was kind of like very free. Like some of those first strips are just like really off the wall. They like go to a pony farm and one of the ponies bites um, Robbie. And I think he turns into a centaur. And then there's one where the, one of the Ninja turtles cuts the phone line to, <laughs> to steal Bobby's pizza. Um so they're just like very like, oh my gosh, I'm online. I can do whatever I want. I could draw these massively scrolling comic panels that go on for pages and pages. So that was really exciting too. I could make animated GIFs. Like it just really blew the doors off my reality. Hmm. Yeah, but I will. Yeah, like I did it. I did that intensely for, for years. And I'll, I will say I probably, you know, I think I think having goals and dreams like big dreams, but like manageable goals is good. I don't think I really knew what I was trying to do. I just like was so excited to be drawing and I did get burnt out. And so like, I think that's kind of where, how I got into my dad is Dracula. Like I wanted to get back to what I really loved about comics. And so if you see my dad is Dracula, every strip is a very simple three panels. They have the recurring uh, formula, but within that framework, I do, I, I do like a, a lot of exciting things like just really try to stretch the limits of the, the limitations. 
Well, you take me to something I was going to ask you is that the the formula of my dad is Dracula. I was going to say it's it's evident. It works very well, but it's very evident. And I was wondering, I was going to ask, is that part of the recipe for, you know, channeling the creativity to make it simplistic and not taxing, it, just to make it easier to repeat too, right? Like, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You got to keep hitting there, right? So, yeah, like if if you can't tell, like I think. So like anyone who hasn't read my dad's Dracula strip, it every panel, every um, strip has a title. My dad is Dracula parentheses and, yeah, you know, my landlord or a light po or um, a lighthouse or a cheese sandwich. I haven't actually done that one yet. That's a good idea. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, the first panel is always Dracula as that thing saying, hi, son. And you see his his son who is just like, um he just looks like a a person wearing like a onesie. I don't. I, I've never really explained what he's wearing, but <laughs> an adult wearing a onesie. And he has like a collar too. Yeah, he's of indeterminate age, maybe like around fifteen to to eighteen. He's a teen. I, I was um, I was gonna call him the, the judgy age. Yeah, so that's pretty accurate. He just seems to yeah. have that always passing judgment on his father. Yeah, he knows just enough to know that dad's dad's not cool. Um. And then every panel, neck the next two panels is just the talk bubble of dad talking out of frame, and then you see son's reaction in each of the two frames. So then I don't, I don't have to draw Dracula more than once. Um, and then <laughs> there's just a big talk bubble in panels two and three. And then I use, I and t- and son never speaks. That's the, the another part of the like. If I was writing a my dad is Dracula Bible, that would be one of the things that's in it. Um, and within that, I, I just do what I can. And, uh, and yeah, that I think then I feel like I can sit down, I do a comic and I get that satisfaction of like having made something that, that I enjoy and, and hopefully other people enjoy too. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, uh, you know, and and I have enough in me to make another one the next day if I want, if I want to. So yeah, it's it's like a comics cartoonist dream for me. And so let me ask you, like, what made, how do you determine a, a, a release schedule for yourself that you're, you know, that isn't going to result in burnout that you're comfortable with? Because I mean, right now, my dad is Dracula is what weekly, if I understand correctly. Oh, well, what you're seeing is I, I think I was doing them in, in 2017. I think I did one every day, but now I'll do like I'll do new ones on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then every, and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday are reruns, reposts. Right. Um yeah, so I guess like and then I have like a morning schedule I try to stick to. I have a little orange notebook and so I'll spend 5 minutes just writing down as many ideas as I can for like what dad can be and then um I will uh, pick one of those and then I'll again set a little timer you know, maybe 10 minutes to try to sketch out one of them. And then um, later in the day, I will take that sketch um, and then like put it up. Um, I will like make a file for my uh, digital comic program. I use, I use Manga Studio and then I will, I'll make the comic. And so usually if I'm like really on fire, I can draw a comic, like a three panel comic in half an hour but only if I've already done all that prep work ahead of time, like doing one from start to finish. I think that's where I would burn myself out is like not having done all the little prep steps ahead of time, like having to see something come to fruition completely from scratch 
is is like really taxing for a cartoonist, I think, or anyone really, whatever you're doing. So do you build up um, like a bit of a buffer so that if you do have, you know, an off day or off week and or you need you know a break, you've still got those new comics to release? Yeah, like for a while I was on I had such a great schedule going that I forgot some comics I was like I was like, oh, my God, I forgot I drew that. And I like would have one in the can. Um, but yeah, to be honest, right now with everything going on, I'm uh, I did meet my goals, though, because I did draw my bonus comics for the for Patreon that um those went up so and uh i think i'm on schedule but right now i have no buffer (laughs) well let's um let's talk about that since you did mention it um something that seems to be uh getting quite popular for uh independent uh, creators is patreon uh in order to uh make you know a little bit of money back and, and get some support you've started doing that um was it end of last year yeah, I started it, I think, in maybe mid-September. How have you been finding that? Has it been maybe, A, how did you come to it? And B, how have you found it um, has changed the way you do things? Oh, man, um, I'm really glad I did it. But I had a huge anxiety about, <laughs> like, putting something out there and basically, you know, asking money for it, you know, like, is my... And that, I think a lot of artists have trouble with that, putting some worth on on their their art. But like that was another thing I think where I got burnt out with making comics before is like I loved making them, but I didn't know what to do after that. And so um, and, and it's also just like another additional challenge. Right. It's like, well, yeah, I, I can really I can post something to Twitter and it's really easy. But to like keep up, it's also a responsibility. Like as soon as I start asking money for it, like now it's kind of like serious, like I. I feel like a real sense of failure if I don't, you know, put an update out this week. So I kind of approached it with some like new, 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 new tools I was trying to do. Like, okay, I will like treat this as a challenge and like give myself a reward afterwards after I meet it. And so like what I want to do, I made like an animation to promote it. And that was like a big project. And then I, um, and then I got kind of overwhelmed thinking like, what should I offer and um and i realized like why don't i just start is like keep in keep in line with the philosophy of why i started my dad's dracula and like just make the offers as like minimal as possible and then build from there like instead of trying to go big and like fail just like work up to to something bigger and so that's kind of where i've been doing it um for instance like i know a lot of people with patrons are like they have like video hangouts and like that seems really enticing and fun or they'll have like a discord that they run and I go into those and they look, they're really exciting and everyone's having a great time. And that seems like really daunting to imagine managing all of that. And like now that I've been doing this for a while and I've seen how other people are doing it because I support other artists, then it doesn't seem as, as like overwhelming, but at the time it was. And so, um, yeah, long answer to your question. When I launched it, people were excited. Like they wanted, I think in the back of some readers mind, they were like genuinely wanted to support the, the, the comic, like in the same way that I want to support artists that I enjoy. And so, but every month I tried to do like kind of a new promotion to try to like think of ways to, to bring people, more people in. And like, it was around, you know, Halloween when I thought of this idea to do like a, a prequel exclusive comic about like when Dracula was a kid and like so it's called my father is Nosferatu and so it's kind of like the other side 
of the story. Like son never speaks and my dad is Dracula, but in my father's Nosferatu, Dracula is the child. And so you get to hear things from his point of view as he's growing up. So there's like the, um, I won't give away anything for the exclusivity of it, but it is uh, Dracula growing up and going through milestones of, of uh, his life. Like the first one uh, is like, you know, my dad's Dracula or my father's Nosferatu and it's my first day of preschool. And so there's lots of like touching, wholesome, I'll say like wholesomeness is like one of the main, the key tenets of my dad is Dracula. You know, there's like cringy dad humor as well. And sometimes, um, you know, dad might say something that's like, oh, you know, why don't, why do you fill up on rolls at the, the restaurant? But wholesomeness is definitely the big part of it. And so um, you get a lot more of that when you see him growing up and like kind of the touching aspects of like fatherhood and, and just kind of like, there's some nostalgia there too. Cause you're, you know, I imagine a lot of people, there are a lot of readers who, who read it and they relate to their own dads or, or like wish Dracula was their dad, which is like a really <laughs> touching thing to hear. Um, and I'd say like running, like having a Patreon and posting to it, it's a lot like the way that web cartoonists used to update their websites. Like, like the way I did, it's like you post the website, you get people to go to the website and you like kind of spend time there just looking at the content or whatever. And now everything's in a feed on Twitter or, or, or Instagram. But um, cause the way Patreon set up, you know, I put in my post and maybe I might write a little something about it and kind of reach out to the, the viewer of uh, the readers. So in that way, it kind of like, reminds me again about like the way I started. And so that kind of, that's kind of refreshing and fun because it is a, is a, it is a great way to kind of build a relationship with your readers that um, is a little more difficult in the sort of like fast and furious way we interact with, with feeds. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely much more personable. And what you mentioned there about uh, the older the old school web comics, if you will, a lot of those used to have like a, a blog element or you had that more of a personal connection or additional content besides the comic. And with something like Twitter or Instagram, it's just, you know, scroll, 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 stop for a second, scroll, scroll, scroll. You know, you don't spend any time there. Obviously, this isn't your job job, right? So this is an additional time that you've got to put in. So I got to imagine it's it's a bit of a balancing act to put time aside for uh, creating the comic as well as putting time aside for the, the Patreon and, and then down the road, as you said, additional uh, bonuses or features for being a, a, a subscriber to that. It's got to be a bit of a, a scheduling thing for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in this little group chat with some other cartoonists and we guys kind of talk shop in there and like, we all talk about like, what we call like our admin time, which is just like the time it takes to like, you know, crop photos for Instagram or, you know, write that content for Patreon and like just all the different outlets, because the way it is, like I have to make something for all the feeds that everyone subscribes to, because that's the way, you know, people prefer it. And that's totally fine. Like I remember like when I was posting Robbie and Bobby comics um on reddit like at the in the very beginning and someone was complaining like your website's not optimized for my 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 cell phone and this was like in 2014 or you know maybe a little earlier than when people were strict almost strictly on their phones 
and I just like railed against them <laughs> because I was just like, I was like David Lynch. I was like, what are you doing reading comics on your phone? <laughs> Get a flip phone like me. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's unfortunately we can't all have this nice, you you know, like uh, monitor based experience. Like we're reading a digital comic book, you know, people are going to like view it however it works for them. So you have to like kind of adapt. You got to you know, meet your audience where they, where they are. Um, so that is a huge amount of work. I would say I, I use some tools that help me like some scheduling apps and things like that, but I tried to do something that made my life easier. Like where, cause right now on Instagram, I, I upload my dad is Dracula one panel at a time. So you kind of get this nice reveal as you flip through each panel as a multi, like a, they call it a, like a carousel, you know, multi image post. And I tried to just upload the full strip one time where you just see all three panels at once. And like people are basically like, Hey, this isn't okay. <laughs> this free thing that I'm reading. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, all right, all right, I can do this. I can fix this. Yeah. You know, and then hashtags and all that stuff. And so, and the algorithms, it's, it's a nightmare. And so like, I know that Twitter is talking about doing this like paid tweet thing and it sounds ridiculous in its concept, but honestly, like it makes sense because like it's like Patreon doesn't really, it used to have this more discovery feature. Like it was really like, it really encouraged people, you know, patrons to discover artists they like and explore on there. But now it's a really more, it's a pipeline that we have to get. It's really hard to pull readers away from whatever website there, you know, Instagram or Twitter to go to Patreon or go to our website and so, like, I think it's smart, you know, if you're already there and you're just putting that bonus content that you would normally give patrons into, like, a paid tweet thing or, you know, whatever, you know, if it works, it works. It's an experiment. So uh, it's another revenue stream. I mean, we're always talking about diversifying our revenue stream. And the, the yeah, if it doesn't work, then I guess uh, it'll die off like uh, so many different technologies and apps and what have you. And you stick with what uh, what works. Well, yeah. and that takes me takes me to a point too. Is like how how do you keep up? I mean, you talked about uh, you're you're you got a group of um, you know artists that you share and communicate with, and you know, so how do you keep up with technology in terms of what's the latest and greatest, and what's what's making life easier versus what's a waste of money? And I guess a, a double-ended question here is, or a layered question, I should say, is. Uh, do you reach out to any type of courses or upgrading or anything to be current with, or do you leave that to your group and uh, trial and error? I'm just kind of curious. Oh yeah. Well, I think the, I'm very, I'm a little slow at adopting new stuff. For, like for sure. Like, like the way I mentioned trying to get into Patreon, like it, it would have just been fine to make something even like as soon as I started and just like, see if anyone wanted to give me a buck or whatever. But, um, being able to ask questions or just like ask for help and not be intimidated. Like, um, you know, like Martin, um, who does hot paper comics. Like I just asked him a question offhand about like Instagram reach and like what's going on with my numbers. And he's like, Hey, look, I have a hundred thousand followers and I got like two followers last week. They've totally screwed over the algorithm. So like, it's kind of like a support group. It's like, you know, it's like, Hey, it's not you. It's not like your comics have gotten crappy. Like they've just screwed with the algorithm. So 
it's good to like kind of get reality checks that way. And I, I'm, I have a really old, like if you're talking about like programs, like my, the, the program I draw my comics in is like, it's no longer being updated. It's, it's not supported anymore. I, I really should update to clip studio, but there's just like, it's kind of like how y'all were talking about your podcasting, you know, like program here is like, there's like too many bells and whistles and it's like, Hey, I have all my nice little things. All I need is this, this ancient program. That's like over 14 years old now. (laughs) So I don't know. I think uh, that would be another one, but it is really cool to see. I do see these artists who draw, they have very simplistic comics and I would never guess that they are like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the words classically trained, but then you see them drawing like a fully rendered um, an anatomical, you know, um, like a, you know, like a warrior or something like whenever they're used to just drawing, like, you know, like basically stick figures or just the single colored uh, white outlined uh, cartoon characters. And like that, because they took time to, to make little lessons and stuff. And so like, that's definitely one thing I would like to do do is like set a goal maybe this year or however to just kind of like try to stretch my my art style at least um because even when i was doing these little animations they look really cool when they're done and i'm happy with them but like i'm basically drawing them in like the most rudimentary way of like just three different layers and then i go into photoshop and like turn them into gifs and then i convert those gifs into mov files and it's like it's the most there's probably a much faster way. It's just that that's that like engineering quandary, right? It's like you either spend a lot of time in the beginning to learn how to do a really efficient process, or you like do the very inefficient thing <laughs> over a long period of time over and over again. You're in the, uh, you're in the second camp on that one, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, do you have any, like, uh, are you, classically trained in art or writing or is this all self-taught um i took so my i have a degree that you know i have a degree in uh studio art and creative writing and so like i'll say those things helped me but honestly like (laughs) all the 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 years i spent at the the college newspaper you know drawing um five comics a, a week and you know, I don't think I ever missed a deadline. You know, I was there really late, you know, like nine o'clock some nights, but like it's, it always ran the next day in the paper. So like that kind of training, I guess I would call that training. And that was, gosh, 18 years ago at this point. So yeah, that was a, that was some, some good training, I would say. So the experience was, was the, the major factor in that for sure than more than maybe the education. Yeah, I would say so. I did have a few art teachers that did encourage like the cartoony stuff. They would like see how I was drawing in their classes and they would lend me like a comic, you know, a graphic novel or like an Akewood collection or something. And yeah. I'd be like, oh, yeah, we get you. Um, I would say one of the the greatest lessons I learned from one class, I, I hated it at the time. Like it was it felt like such a, a bait and switch. So he gave us this assignment and we was like, basically draw whatever you want. And I was just like having a ball with it. And then I was like ready to have it graded. And he's like, okay, now take what you, um, you made and go put it on the wall. And basically what he did is he made it where it was this like, 
you you had to let go of it and just like let other people do whatever they wanted to it and then you got to draw on other people's stuff and it was just this like yeah it was like a nightmare for me i was like and that was a real like kill your darlings kind of lesson it's like now your thing is a collaboration it's an idea it's it's disposable go draw something else if you if you want (laughs) which is not collaborated again (laughs) you're right totally but I mean, that's, I think that's kind of what separates me. I don't really feel, sometimes I don't really feel like I'm a true artist because I feel like everything I make needs to have a utility. Like I, I like want to share everything I've drawn. Like everything I draw feels like it has to be made into something. Like I have a friend here in Houston named Renee. And like one time I hung out with his, at his apartment like years and years ago. And like, he's a true artist. He'll just draw on whatever he can find and just like toss it aside. Like, he had bins full of drawings that he was working on and he's always trying to explore something new and just drawing from references, drawing from life. And just because that's like, it's like breathing for him. And for me, it's like, sometimes I'm just like exhausted and like happy to be done drawing these three little panels. I'm like, okay, it's done. I'm happy. I did something. It's like working out, you know, like you're like you ran and you're like, okay, I'm glad I'm done doing that. I'll do it again tomorrow. Maybe. And I'm glad I did it, but I'm happy that it's done. (laughs) Dead honesty. Mm -hmm. I cannot relate to the working out part. Maybe Adam can, but I can't. (laughs) Hey, didn't you run a marathon? I I biked a thing, but yes. uh, And a couple times. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. (laughs) I biked a thing. (laughs) I biked a thing. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. You got an idea, and he can culminate all the experience Jason's sharing with us in that one event. That's right. Yeah. So you you must get hit often, especially with it being web-based, about either young people or any people of any age that are, maybe think they have something they want to try themselves or get out there, and they're probably always looking for that, you know, boast of confidence, or at least where to start. And... uh do one do you find you get that more often than you thought and two like what do you tell people yeah um i this uh my dad's dracula made like a really big splash on instagram when i started and there's like it's it's a pretty young demographic and so i do have a lot of like i i got to tell you like i have one reader who just like he just messaged me messages me like he's bored in class. Like he's like, Hey, what are you doing? I was like, um, <laughs> taking my cat to the vet. And like, he's like, yeah, I can't wait for school to be over. <laughs> like what? Oh, uh, no. And I'm like, I'm like, I can tell he's not talking about college. <laughs> like, you know, he's a high schooler. And it's just interesting that like, in some ways I kind of really appreciate the candor that I think it's like a generational thing. There's like, if you spend your whole life and you've always had online and you've always had the internet, you don't really have a lot of like, I'm not like, it's just as natural as like, I don't know what it is. Like just saying, Hey, to uh, someone on the street, I don't know, waving. I don't know what it's like. Cause I can't relate, but they just don't, it's like, okay. Like, I think it's a good thing, you know, like, because we're get, it's, a, and it's great to like be able to be open with your communication like that. And so, yeah, like, um, you know, I think some readers will like this guy, for instance, I think he has like a YouTube channel and he's like, I've got a hundred um, subscribers. So that's probably what I'm going to do when I'm done with school. And I'm just like, kind of, okay, well, good luck with that. <laughs> but um, so I think like, 
I, I think, you know, in the same way that I was dead set on like, I want my comics to be an indie in indie newspapers, you know, people just look to what they like and they, they're like, this is what I want to fixate on as my goal and my dream. And so, um, you know, some people are like, well, how do you get more followers? And, and I don't really have a good answer for that. I'm just kind of like, you know, find something you like to do and, and just keep putting it out there. There's no, there's no like magic, there's no shortcut, you know, like to like hitting that, I don't know. It's like, I wonder that too. Like some of my follow, my friends who have massive followings, like, how did this work out? And like, I'm sure they're just exhausted. Like me making comics all the time. I think one thing they ask a lot of people ask is like, do you want to do a collab? And like, I, I want to make the time for that because I think it's fun. And I think everyone starts off somewhere. So like I can real roll my eyes at this kid or whatever, but no, I think it's really cool that like, I don't know, like, yeah, he's going to have a great channel one day. I'm just, I, I think, I definitely think so. Because, you know, I was that kid at one point. And um, I mean, a good example is like Michael, Michael Kupperman. Like I used to read his uh, comics all the time and just like bust my gut laughing at his stuff. And just like now he's on Twitter and like he follows me and like I can, like I can, I have conversations with him now online and it's like, I don't know. It's just kind of cool how things coalesce like that. And it's just, just takes time. I don't know if that really answers your question. No, it, it does. It does. It does a bit. And I was curious how many times you must get hit up by people that don't do anything with it. Don't do anything with it. Um, like, so you give them the information, you give them a bit of an idea and then they're never heard from again. Oh, um, I would say, Honestly, I think more people are actually doing pretty active with it. Like there's, I owe, I owe a collaboration to one artist who hit me up and I was just like, you know, there was a lot of stuff that uh, that I was going through, like family stuff that I didn't have free time for. And I see that he's done collaborations with other cartoonists and that's great. Like, you know, like I almost, you know, I, that's good. He followed through and so he's still doing it. So I'd say in this, for that art, artist particular example, like, right on like so i think more often than not like it comes easier for them you know like there's another artist um who does entirely different stuff than me like he does like these cool skull paintings and he's like do you want to do a collab and like at first i was like how would that work but then i just tried to break that down and think you know like this could be really weird and cool like i'm just gonna put a you know put this uh a bookmark on this idea like i want to come back to this and um, I don't know, it took a lot of guts to reach out to like a total stranger and ask some kind of a, you know, it's a vulnerable question. Do you want to work on something together? So I want to encourage that. I think definitely there's probably a bit of that, um, not not gatekeeping, but there is that factor that if somebody's willing to reach out to you, if they're willing to put that kind of effort into it, although it seems to be less and less effort needed nowadays, but I think that they then have some intention of taking what you say seriously. You're right, though, because I, I think as, you know, in the 2000s or when I was in my 20s and if there was people online, I would I would never think to be like, well, I'll just contact them. I'll just I mean, it was a little harder too. you'd probably have to email or whatever. But like, I can't imagine being like, you know, I'm going to ask like Chris Onstad a question about Akewood or something or yeah. you know, I'm going to. Just be like, hey, what's up? I just, it always, there was always that distance. Like, no, he's a professional. I'm enjoying his work. That's where, you know, things stop. I might buy a t-shirt or whatever. I should have bought the books because they're worth a fortune now. 
Um, but I think that, like you said, growing up online, that barrier seems to be less and less because that 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 line between the quote average person and the the person that's creating the, the material is it's so much closer now than I think it ever was when we were growing up. So I definitely see that. Now you mentioned um, things like algorithms and and the, the hashtags and that. How difficult do you find it um, to get noticed? Obviously, web comics are pretty popular, and I'm you know it ebbs and flows over time. But how how hard is it to get noticed in in the sea of web comics? And is there anything that you've done that you found has been particularly useful or helpful? Hmm. Let's see. I guess just like you just kind of try out every you just, you know, like I was comfortable on Twitter, but, it you know, like I was I wasn't very used to Instagram. And so, like, I took a chance there and like that kind of blew up. So I guess just like being open to new mediums. And I did try out posting on um, Tapas. It's kind of like an online web comics community. Um and that didn't work out too well. Like I might revisit that later, but just just trying what just kind of kind of just dipping your toes in and trying it out um, different places. And then like, let me see. And I again, going back to that collaboration thing, like I did get a lot of, um, you know, I reached out to some people that I admired a cartoonist and like asked if they wanted to do collabs. And so like, um like uh, Zach from Extra Fabulous, he did one, like Berkeley Muse. Um, and so like I, so there's like crossover there. Like that's always been a, a great idea. Like even way back in the day, you know, you would do like guest comics. So I think that's still viable. Um, and just kind of treating it like, I think just treating, I've always thought of like web comics is like, like I may not be, you know, like what do you call, materialistically successful at it but it's given me this chance to belong to this community and meet people that i never would have had a chance to otherwise and like that's probably one of the greatest definitely the greatest things i get out of it and so i think if you kind of come to it for that approach like that you're going to make friends and that like you'll have experiences or i don't know just just the community i think is the if you come out of that angle you'll you'll never be disappointed because it's a great community much like podcasting, don't go in it for the money. <laughs> uh, I will say, though, I mean, I think Adam will probably agree. We've we've met a lot of people doing this that we probably wouldn't have met otherwise and met people through other guests. And I think that aspect of it is is a lot of fun learning, like even for an hour, an hour and a half, just kind of getting into the world of, of somebody else. So I definitely can see the the benefit of that community or, or that that web of you know acquaintances or, or friends that you get as being a, a perk for sure. Adam, you got anything coming up here? You got any questions? Covering a lot of ground here, faster than I expected. I, I know Jason is uh, he's he's covered a lot of our questions. I don't know how much you can actually say, but well, one, do you have any future plans to bring back Robbie and Bobby? And is there anything, um, any other future plans or, or different things you have? Uh, plan for my dad is Dracula. Obviously, you've got the my father is Nosferatu, but is there anything else you've got maybe cooking up for either one of those? Um, let me think. So as far as Robbie and Bobby goes, like I'm not really sure. Like um, I think if uh, the mood strikes, I might bring something. Like 
it would, you know, if I, I guess if I ever pitched an idea for like an animated series or something, that would be a pretty good one. But like, I'm having so much fun with my dad as Dracula. Now I, I like having all my eggs in this, this basket. And, um, but let's see, I do have a, my dad is Dracula book and I have probably enough comics to make another book pretty soon. Um, I always thought like, I don't know. Sometimes I try to think about how I could make a game out of it. Like, do you, you, I'm sure you all guys have played a boy in his blob, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Jelly beans. Yeah. I, I always thought like, it'd be fun of funny to have some kind of concept like that, like sun with Dracula and like, he needs Dracula to turn into different things to, to navigate through like obstacles or solve puzzles. I could see some fun with that. Um, I mean, he's turned into just about everything. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. yeah, I'm trying to think how you would even uh, what the transformation would be instead of jelly beans, but I feel like it'd be different types of blood, but I'm not sure yet. See, that's another that's another thing in the My Dad is Dracula canon. I'll allow it for guest strips, but I never ever touch on any vampiric stuff. Like I never use vampire puns. I never use Dracula. Like I was gonna say, I was looking at and he's I, Dracula I was, by name only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really. You know, it was sitting there under my subconscious having looked through a whack of them, and I'm thinking to myself, it never really stood out. As soon as you said it, I'm like, oh, my God, you're right. There's nothing. There is no – and I was like a, a quite the – not a big horror movie fan, but I always loved the Dracula like mythos or you know, legend. And so it really stood out, and I couldn't catch what stood out, and that's exactly what it was. <laughs> I, I will use bat motifs but uh, for his pajamas and stuff, but that's as far as I'll go. <laughs> He's the uh, he's the tamest version of Dracula, you know, that we've seen so far. Yeah. One of the things I love the most is like I'll get an occasional comment on the con- uh, like someone's like super confused. Like, I don't get this. What What's the point of him being Dracula? <laughs> you got it. Like Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You figured it out. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I actually have the uh, the My Dad is Dracula book open to uh two that I thought were quite funny um, and maybe fitting for our uh, our listener group. One is My Dad is Dracula and My Dungeon Master, which I thought was really funny based on uh, Son's age. And it's, uh, I mean, I can't, you have to, you have to see it so you can get the book. But basically, as uh, Jason said, it's got the, the High Sun intro and they're sitting at a table and he's got his Dungeon Master screen up and he's setting the scene and he says, you know, you're in a tavern roll to order an age appropriate beverage, which I thought was <laughs> perfect. And like, just, and, and the, the flat lip look on sun, like really dad, like this is what we're doing. <laughs> and then right next to it was another perfect one for our audience. And it's my dad is Dracula and a classic gaming console. And uh, it's, it's Dracula as a nondescript, although slightly Nintendo slash super Nintendo. We mix probably maybe more Nintendo uh, high sun remember me and son is super happy. And then it says, was I legit, uh, sorry, legitimately good. Or was it just nostalgia, which is something we've talked about, uh, <laughs> about a lot of things, you know, whether it's, do we just remember something being really good or uh, was it actually uh, quite good? So, I mean, that, those ones stood out to me and they were just happened to be side by side, which I thought was, uh, they were, they were pretty good. Glad you enjoyed them. Yeah. I did try to take some effort with the book to organize them by like categories. I think that one is like nerd dad is the yeah. chapter <laughs> heading. Fitting. Yeah. 
I'm almost surprised that you haven't had anybody that's tried to somehow cosplay as uh, Dad Dracula, especially like, you know, like some of them where he's got like the long hair one, for example, I could see like some of them are just like, I think they would be perfect costumes. Oh, my God. Yeah, the long long hair one. That was good. (laughs) I would want them to do it in like, I mean, like if I were to cosplay, you know, if I I imagine a son cosplay is just like someone wearing a onesie, like completely with white face paint and just like, I don't know how they'd have to obscure their nose somehow. But um, yeah, just the weirdness of, of them. I've seen some really amazing fan art where they've, they've drawn them in a, like a realistic style that I can't quite capture. And like, they just look amazing. Like um, I got this fan art for my father's Nosferatu and it was just adorable. Cause it was like Nosferatu is just like the most horrible looking vampire with like the fangs are, are like almost rabbit like teeth and just these pointy ears. And he's got this cute little child Dracula um, wearing like a, a little bibbed collar and overalls. <laughs> like Oshkosh style. Um, but yeah, I would, I would love to see that. Now, um, I, I think this question's been asked before, but is it his hair or is he wearing a hat? I'm oh talking my God. Son. That's the best. <laughs> I love this discussion. So like <laughs> I had like, I always run polls occasionally to see what the, the readers think. And like, um, I don't know. I like, I I hate to just tell people like what something is to like it's canon. This is well, I, I I mean I'm canon about like what Dracula can and can't do or Sun can't talk. But I will say like it's an it, I drew it as hair, but then like I like to think that I like when people say they think it's a hat. Like I was just like I know I don't want to disagree with them. You know, you know I think it can can be either. It could be a hair shaped. It's, I feel like their hair is shaped like a hat. <laughs> yeah I, I would say you, you could make the argument for the hat but they're every once in a while the hair is just slightly different enough that you're like nah, <laughs> i think that's just you know he's got the little bangs thing going on so like one thing that's fun to notice is like if you if you looked at my comics chronologically like sun's hair is drastically different in the beginning like it looks like a helmet like it's got like the very rounded almost sideburns that look like it makes it almost look like a batting helmet and um and so like that's the one thing i love about comics is like you go back to the beginning and you can see where the the artist was developing their style and so like it's a little off like um and i think it's where it's the same with like tv shows too like the pilot of any show is almost like this weird alternate universe where they never return to they're like Ugh, that was that was some awkward times for us like the middle school years of anything yeah, you rarely remember the pilot of a show because if you go back, you're like, I do not remember. And this guy's played by a completely different actor. Like things like that would always yeah. pop out. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there so, was a mom in the show. Yeah. <laughs> she just disappeared. Um so um Hogan July. Family. Yeah. <laughs> July and I, my wife, we've been watching Star Trek Next Generation before we go to bed every night. And it's just like such a cozy show, like the humming of the machines and like, you know, data petting spot and there's, they solve a problem and they all become closer together and it's, it's great. And then they're like, okay, we finished um, the two parter for season four, uh, first episode, season five, let's go back to the beginning and, and watch from the beginning. And I forget that the very first episode of next generation is this like 
double episode pilot thing that's just like i find it unbearable it's just like q is there immediately and it's there's nothing cozy or quaint about it the set is just like odd and a little too big and just like it's just a little too much like the classic star trek and just none of the charm or or warmth of the like the next generation that we've not my tng yeah exactly it was it was upsetting (laughs) it like physically pained me that's actually kind of leads into my uh next question we with this podcast we tend to look a lot at um retro and nostalgia and 80s and 90s kind of thing just based on uh you know our, our generation but is there a, a favorite retro or a TV show from your childhood that you have or one that you go back to? I know, obviously, we talked about how sometimes in your mind something was better than it is. But is there one that maybe you go back to or that you, you know, it's your absolute number one? Man, um, I will say, like, just to tie it into, like, my dad is Dracula. Like, I, I haven't revisited it, honestly, because in my mind it lives in this this kind of amazing p- place. But, like, Count Ducula. Like <laughs> I, I think I, I have, I, I loved, I grew up with so much. I really enjoyed like, you know, vampire Dracula imagery. Like I loved Halloween. And so something about Count Ducula, I think it just embedded in my brain. I don't know if it's necessarily an inspiration for my dad is Dracula, but like just the, those kinds of cartoons, um, you know, they were all line, like Nickelodeon just was such an, an odd mix of stuff. Like they're just like, whatever, let's just throw this at some kids. I don't know. And like, um, but let me, let me see, let me see. I guess that's another thing is like, I didn't watch Star Trek next generation growing up. Like I, I was somehow had this weird brand identity where I was like, Star Wars is better. And Star Trek is for nerds. And I'm like, what you're a nerd, Jason, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they're both for me. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder, like, I mean, I think I was just, like, afraid of embracing the gentleness that uh, I think Star Trek really embodies. This is a this is a tough one. Like, I think um, Frasier, like, watching the TV show Frasier. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, um, that was also something that, like, I found it odd that, like, oh, and um, Mystery Science Theater. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, it still stands up to me. And, like, I have, you know, endless memories of staying up late and, like, I spread all my Legos out on the floor and just like most of the jokes would go over my head, but like it definitely like formed my sense of humor. You know, I was like, okay, whatever they're saying, I, I've got to, I've got to hold on to this. Cause it, I think it's funny <laughs> and figure out why they're laughing, why the robot is laughing. Yeah. And it's funny to them. It must be funny to me. Yeah. And I got to say like the, the robot um, connection there probably is why I drew Robbie as a robot and Robbie and Bobby. I got a thing with anthropomorphic uh, creatures. And Frasier makes, uh, makes appearances in Robbie and Bobby. I noticed yes. uh, several times watching Frasier. <laughs> Robbie is a big fan of, of Frasier. Um, I think like I, I'm a, I, I love to revisit like the Jim Henson Muppet uh, movies like Labyrinth and dark crystal and um and like even like return to oz like it's really it almost breaks my heart to know that some of those movies were just like didn't really do well like they, this the the world didn't really know what to do with them at the time and then they've kind of developed a cult following on their own years later. i remember being terrified of return to oz because oh that was the one where she changed the heads or the faces wasn't yeah, it yeah that that's the one that 
That scared me. <laughs> yeah. It's like having, it reminds me of like visiting a, a scary relative or you have a horrible babysitter, just like these, these adults in your lives that you, you've been trusted with that you don't, you're like slightly terrified of. <laughs> what about a favorite retro video game? I know you play uh, a lot of, well, you have played a lot of older games. I don't know if you're playing older games currently, but is there one that stands out from your childhood or one that you go back to? Oh yeah, like um I love Zelda. I love the whole series. Um you know, like sometimes I'll go back and try to do like a no sword run or just like, you know, try to play the dungeons out of order as much as possible and I'm always amazed of like how what seemed like a ton of thought went into that game because it just like you can just like re replay it in all kinds of new different ways and um See, because I do have like a big collection of old NES games, but it's funny. Like, I love, I love the like, I love Nintendo and like collecting all the stuff. But I think my heart really belongs in the like 16-bit, like JRPG era, because um, like, oh my god! So I had, I have some younger friends that I'm in like in a cyberpunk book club with, and um, okay, yep. they were asking me like, oh, like, well, you, you know what? you know, like what year was were you in middle school? And I was like, let's see, I think I was in seventh grade when Chrono Trigger came out. <laughs> like that's how I marked my time. The, um, the 16 bit generation, uh, and you'll hear more about that in a future episode where we had Jason Anarchy, uh, join us for our favorite, uh, top five super Nintendo games. Uh, the JRPG, uh, genre, it definitely made its uh, its appearance known on on our list for sure. That was definitely a very popular time for those kind of games. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe how expensive those games were. I remember they were like eighty dollars, and you know, in U.S. dollars, and and that that scales quite incredibly because, like, you imagine inflation now. Like, this is like mid nineties money. Um, it's kind of it's it's nuts, you know. That's that's a lot of allowance money and in the long. I gotta say it's it's hard to think that games now are priced probably under what they were when we grew up with them. So we were buying sixteen bit games for what sixty to a hundred dollars, depending, yeah. you know, U.S. American. And right now, kids are buying games for forty to eighty um, for their systems and. You know, it's the same price point, if not a little bit less. Uh, and with inflation, that really doesn't make any sense. They should be a heck of a lot more. <laughs> it's all that extra plastic we had to pay for. Yeah, yeah. Well, now they're just buying codes on a piece of paper, right? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hate when we show our age and we're talking about the one, the wonders of 16-bit games, right? Well, isn't the whole the podcast, the point is like generational interests? Yeah, yeah, we also is. have a bit of denial every once in a while. <laughs> We've been doing the show long enough that it was it was on the fringe of cool, and now it's the reality of age is starting to hit in terms of I think where our generation is about to break through the forty uh, plateau barrier for the Zennials. And mm-hmm. so, if you think about it, we should be um, perpetuating the midlife crisis that many of our listeners inside of this age bracket are about to crash through. There's a reason I have lumbar support on my chair right now is because <laughs> I can't sit for very long without it. I just bought or um July just got me as a gift one of those like um 
what do you call it? They're like a little like foam log that you roll. Yeah, with foam roll. Yeah, yeah foam roller. <laughs> it's great. It feels amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, here it is. Here's the age. <laughs> Guys, get, getting old is great. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I don't know, Adam, do you got anything else uh, you wanted to ask Jason while we've got him here? Yeah. Have you ever thought about publishing a book? So like an actual physical hard copy of book, a collection of your, of your I've work. I've got books in my hand. No, no, but I mean like a, a book only, book only, not web-based. They go with that really. Oh, I, I think, I, I think like Calvin and Hobbes, right? That was a big one for me that the, there was comics and then there was comic strips. And for me, comic strips, the only comic strip was Calvin and Hobbes. And well, was Calvin and Hobbes the collections, were they not collections from the newspaper? Absolutely. They were, but that what okay. I'm saying is like it was. There was some that was original inside of those collections. That Bill Larson did some stuff on a couple of them that were mm-hmm. unique to the collection. But other than that, yeah, you're right. There was editions uh, of that. But I was just so thinking what you're saying is, of- Jason, are you going to do what you're doing already? But, <laughs> may, but but maybe have some 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 unique comics that are strictly only available in book form. Well, yeah, I'll do that because like when that book came out, there were strips in there that were like only available for in the book itself. So um, I've since I since uh, I think I was in a hard spot with my buffer and I went ahead and published them online anyway. But there's also if you go to the back, there is a make your own. My dad is Dracula comic template. So you putting giving the tools to the to the reader Um that's another thing I'll say, like, uh, I loved any computer game that gave you the tools to like, like uh, Warcraft 2. Like, I got so much enjoyment out of like making my own maps on that. And so like, in Hero Quest, like, you has a it has like a quest creator um, blank map on the back. Like, it's like, here you go, the tools are yours to create. And so I think maybe that's one thing I want to do more with my dad as Dracula is like, maybe because I imagine like, anyone that enjoys reading a comic maybe at least has some thought about like, maybe I could do this. And so like, I would want to like, that's another thing about getting older, I guess you'd say is like, well, you know, and not being a gatekeeper is like pass on some of this knowledge or share, or just like, you know, try to, it's like a service, you know, try to try to make the world a better place by not only sharing your art, but like how to, how to make more of it. And so you kind of perpetuate more wholesome content in the world. Make it a little less daunting for those who uh, are aspiring to do that sort of thing. Yeah, like it's easy to think like, oh, my gosh, like it's the the stuff that kids are doing nowadays is so amazing. And like to try to think that there's something wrong with that or like be threatened by it. But I mean, I think, you know, uh, it's the same for any generation. It's just like it's perpetual. It's fine. Like, you know, like. I, these these teens can make amazing TikToks without having to use any editing software at all. Like, I don't know, like, I want to do that. Maybe I can, like, trade comic-making um, tips for TikTok editing skills or something. It's a barter system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that we, we, we get caught up in that notion and forgetting that that younger generation is going to be the mass consumer. So instead of resisting against to what they're trying to project that they want, Right. We should be kind of embracing it and trying to pick up what we can from it. By no means do we become masters of it. But then if we don't want them to snow plow or like plow over all the stuff that we enjoy, um, then show them what's good about it. And then they can show us what's good about theirs. And you find a little bit of a collaboration in the middle and everyone works out on the other end. And you can see that of some things 
but you certainly more often enough, it's this resistance to change type mentality, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that's one thing about the era we grew up in is that like every mass media had the, almost this very central way of disseminating stuff. Like, do you remember how like um, news stories, like a news cycle could last for like weeks or even months? Weeks. Like, yeah, like you would follow one story for this long and now it's just like, bloop, we're on to something else. Like, and because, you know, people make their own news, you know, you have all these different, um, you know, <laughs> outlets to follow. Well, and... <laughs> I, don't, I, don't about, I don't know about you, but I remember in school, and again, here we go, memory lane, that's the, the, the beauty of this show, is that we were not allowed to use anything that was online that in terms of whether it was an essay or a book report, like you had to... yeah. Uh, had to have like or media sources you weren't even supposed to use newspapers and if you were there had to be ones that were reputable writers that you could like fact check and trust that they fact checked their stories and now i'm doing some university courses at night and it's like just cite your sources use your apa formatting or whatever it is and as you're punching in the word it's like whatever site it is doesn't matter like it just (laughs) doesn't matter you not to use is wikipedia because you can edit it other th- otherwise the world's your oyster and i thought yeah i definitely i remember that 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 period where yeah they were like you can't it, first it was you couldn't use online sources because i think the yeah. teachers just didn't flat out trust it and then or it was yeah you, certain yeah and, or then it became like okay well if you're going to use online sources it, it can only be these certain ones but yeah it was mostly like it has to be it has to be physically printed it has to be a journal it has to be even a magazine, but it, it couldn't be online only. They just, there was no trust of that, but that's mm-hmm. just the way, you know, things change for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's gotten very loose, but then that's also the, um, the thinking process behind, you know, this, this, uh, push towards media and the problem with media. I mean, we can go down this whole rabbit hole, like with Facebook having shell out, was it a billion dollars to North American media, which then again is also the equivalent of like a millionaire getting a speeding ticket. But, mm-hmm. um, the reality is like the, you know, things are starting to come around to say, Hey, we got to put some sort of rigor and control back into a system that, you know, for quite a few decades was kind of important and trustworthy. And it, it had a lot of flow into how decisions and and we live lives and and thought about things and held people accountable. And that's just gone to the wayside. So we, how do we bring this back? And I guess the secret to the recipe that they don't want to hear is take the 24 hour news stations off. So they actually have to dig for quality stories to fill in their hour. And that pretty much helps. But you don't like the wild west. That is the news. You don't like that. dopamine Every time you refresh, there's a new story. The the, the birth of the 24 hour news. I get it at the 24 hour. It's 24 seconds. I hit refresh on Twitter and I get a new story all the time. (laughs) Well, I was referring to the news stations that have to run that run 24 hours a day, like the CNN and and Bloomberg. But anyways, that, that all, you know what gulf war basically was when that started to, to take off and then they kept it because it was a money maker oj and, yeah and then they yeah. realized um we don't really have a lot of content to fill 24 hours like we thought we did so now we have to start making other things newsworthy that weren't necessarily newsworthy and we've made ourselves into these animals into this craziness and maybe i'm going down this crazy rabbit hole because i watched the greatest movie in the world last night and i just can't help but not you know just feel actually trapped in the space with this movie and if you and just as a current movie to watch, as we all are film and media and you know uh, pop culture fiends of past. Oh and Lord, movies, what did you watch? 
I watched Unhinged last night. And so if you're, oh, if you're watching right. something on Netflix, watch it. It is, as I described to Matt in text, it is Falling Down with Michael Douglas. Do you remember that one? So yeah, but now, but now 2021 or yeah, that's what yeah but I said on steroids and meth. So the 2021 equivalent and it is insane. Absolutely insane. But then at the same time, once you get away from the shock value they have to do to make you catch on to what's happening, um, to be honest with you, it's not that far away from, you know what, this is totally, totally could happen. And this is exactly how it would play out. And this is why you should have a passcode on your cell phone. And this is why you shouldn't honk at everybody in your car. And that's pretty much just the premise of the start. The beauty of the movie, though, is that it just starts. It's one of those great ones. It just starts. You're there. A cold open, ice cold. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. And Russell Crowe, who has completely let himself go, just going to say completely, like, no idea. He's that definitely he moved is... into, like, dad bod scenario. Oh, think, no, no. Point, yeah. He's turned into drunken, lost, fat uncle body shaming type well, area. S- some it's... people's dads, too, I guess. I Maybe. Know. It's way out there, <laughs> though. It's definitely not what you expect at all. So thumbs up. You're, you're giving this one a recommendation? Absolutely. <laughs> And not not because I, I hope that there's a lot of truth inside of it. I hope the hidden gem, hidden messages that's layered in there about us being better people. Because it is in there. It's just riddled in violence and aggression and some of the best killing scenes I've ever seen. Most creative killing scenes I've ever seen. Things that just make sense. So, anyways. You're alarming me. Can I do a Russell Crowe um, nostalgia tangent here? Sure. Yes. Over, um, my wife and I got a, an Airbnb for Valentine's Day and watched Virtuosity. Oh, wow. <laughs> Starring Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington. Wow. So well, this is uh, definitely a far cry from that. But man, he's just like, it's like, it's like Russell Crowe pupa. Like he's just playing this, like, you want to say unhinged, like just this kind of idiotic psycho. So he's like, he starts off as a simulation of all of the the best serial killer minds merged into one module as used as a training to, um, program where they put um, they, they have prisoners go into this VR simulation and, and like fight against him. And um, this ex cop played by Denzel Washington, um, you know, they start having this cat and mouse game, but then, Russell Crowe figures out a way to escape the VR. And um, I don't know. I just loved it. It was just really terrible. And just that, that great nineties, like look of the future. Um, and, Oh, that really skeezy guy that was in the, that play that's in the matrix. Um, he's like the, the like Judas character that betrays them. Oh yes. Yes, 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 yes. He, he oh, plays it. He was in any other movie. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, Hey, can, that's that was probably like his resume material for this. Like, like can you, hey, you were a weird hacker dude, and that do you want to do that in, in Matrix? So yeah, he, <laughs> there was that red hot minute in the '90s where it was just like Johnny Mnemonic, Lawnmower yes. Man, <laughs> Virtuosity. All these movies where they're like, the internet's going to kill us all. The net, even they're watching I, me I, on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> I truly feel that the studios like what happens is someone goes in with a movie idea and they pitch it to all the studios and the studios go, yeah, no, that's no good. And they just write it up on a whiteboard and then they just catch wind that someone else is going to run with that. They go quick. What's the closest thing like that stupid pitch we had. And they just run with it. Hence 
what was it the core in armageddon was that the runoff yep, oh, no. yeah, yeah. That's, that's no you're absolutely that's exactly what i was gonna say those movies came out within months of they're each written, other and they're they, almost the same movie it was the equivalent of the space race of the 50s and 60s right? dante's peak volcano same uh-huh. thing 100%. We, we've gone way off track. Um, <laughs> we do. We need to do that. It's important. I, what I was going to ask Jason before we go, uh, we, we've talked about obviously uh, what you you do for uh, you know the, the majority of this interview, but what do you do for your downtime? How do you, and maybe this is a good segue from what we were talking about. How do you, uh, how do you blow off steam when you're not uh, creating, if you will, or maybe it's different creating. I don't it's know. like it's oh, foam yeah. rolling. I'm going foam rolling. Foam rolling, yeah. I do that. I try. I do try to do a little bit of exercise. I, I play a lot of Ring Fit Adventure on the Switch. Um, but yeah, like I'll try to. I have like a list of games that I'm I'm not very good at, but I I got them as gifts. Um, like I asked for them, but I'm just like like Dark Souls. Like I'm gonna get around to that one eventually. But um, oh. yeah. But um, so playing video games. Um, so my reward for myself that I was like, there was a uh, a Lego set that came out. Um, so I'm gonna put that together because I met my I met my cartooning goals for the February. But yeah, it's a um, it's a blacks the blacksmith shop. It's this very like I don't know. I think it's almost a thousand pieces. It was just released. Um, but um, I've kind of gotten re- back into Lego. Like, actually, that's another nostalgia thing. Like, classic Lego, like the classic um, Lego castle sets. I don't know. Oh why man, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, listen, my kids were big Lego fans, and they had the New Age dragons and all the stuff that was like the new stuff, which was mm-hmm. really cool. It was, it was definitely good. Um, but man, did it make me miss mine, <laughs> which yeah. was all the classic castles, which were like, they, to me, they were the um, Lego version of the Masters of the Universe's castles that you just build upon, right? Because it had that same cast type plastic. Yeah, loved it. I'll, I will say too, like there was part of me for a while that was like, eh, you know, what are these adults doing with Lego? But I, I got some sets a few years ago. It's very calming for me, mm-hmm. like building sets. Just, just you know, I know there's the obviously the creative aspect if you want to build your own stuff, but if you're just following those directions and just you know, you've got no no plans, nothing. You've got as much time as you need just sitting down and building that. It's one of the most de-stressing things I've found for whatever reason for me. So I'm all on board for that. Well, it comes with a massive sense of completion too, right? Mm-hmm. It is something when you do it, not like paint by numbers or something. When you do it, it, you can actually make it look like the thing on the box of the picture. Whereas like when you try other things with paint by numbers or maybe the adult coloring books, like have you seen how some of that stuff turns out? Yeah, my. yeah. You're not happy with what you did. You're more stressed at the end than when you started because you could not. You, you know, you look like the Big Mac in the box that you actually got versus the ad. Yeah, I, I've started. Um, I've got a uh, a few games, tabletop games, where you can build the uh, the miniatures. So for the first time, I've gotten into doing that, and that has been super stressful for me because my OCD just goes into overdrive. I can't get the pieces together quite right or like globs of glue are forming oh in weird God, spots. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the painting, I'm just terrified to do because once you've painted it, then what? If you screw up, you're, you start all over again. Like, I just, I don't know. That's that's my own insecurities, though. <laughs> no, I feel you. Like, I would rather, like when I was uh, really collecting a bunch of Hero Quest miniatures and stuff, like I would paint them to look 
like the ones that came with the box. Like I would customize it and make it look like it came out of like, oh, it's just solid red or solid gray. Like <laughs> I'd rather it look like um, out of the box than anything custom. Because like, again, yeah, like I got to draw eyeballs on this orc. That's with, <laughs> with what? One single, you know, thread of horse hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, um. I guess we should, uh, this is part of the show where we would allow you to plug whatever you like. Do you have anything coming up? Do you anything specifically you want to talk about? Oh, I guess, um, you know, you can read My Dad is Dracula and all your favorite sites. Uh, I am at My Dad is Dracula. Um, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr. Um, let's see. Yeah. And then what else? Um, I just came up with a dumb little RPG about being an egg. You can find that on itch.io. Just search egg RPG. <laughs> Don't worry, Adam. I've got it. We're going to play it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I want to know what y'all think. It, for At first, I was like, oh, I don't know. What, what can I do with this? Then the more I started thinking of it, it got out of hand. I got down that, that rabbit hole really quickly. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I should say too, you can get Jason's uh, collections of his comics on Amazon. Uh, where else can you get them anywhere else? Do you know? Oh, um, that's where they're at right now. I don't, I don't have any like reader copies. But thank you for plugging that. I forgot. And then that that reminds me, you could check out the My Dad Is Dracula Patreon at Patreon.com/slash My Dad Is Dracula. Yeah, we'll definitely have all the links for all this uh, on the, the website when this episode goes up. Uh, I, I should probably at this point thank, uh, Jason Anderke because this is now second, maybe the third guest we've had that somehow has been connected to him. Hmm. Uh, as, as I spoke about, about a, just over a year ago, I guess it's been now, right? Uh, yeah. I met Jason at PAX South in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, he was, uh, a roommate with, uh, Jason Anarchy and myself for, uh, for that. And, we ran the we helped run the the Jason Anarchy booth and it was uh it was a ton of fun. We uh we screamed heck a lot. <laughs> played a lot of uh a lot of Jason's games and he uh what was it um what was the Harry Potter thing that you guys introduced oh, me to yeah. because it was the funniest thing I've ever seen and still the only form of Harry Potter that I've ever consumed. Make sure they oh. keep it that way. Wizard people dear reader. <laughs> yeah it's it's basically harry potter but with like um like a commentary track that dubs over all the the over the whole thing it is the funniest thing i've ever seen in my life i know nothing about harry potter i only know what i've seen in this and it's 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 on youtube you can you can find it it was it's hilarious and then uh i think what the big story out of that was was you are a huge uh hero quest fan and i i actually talked about this uh, when I talked about my trip, I've never seen somebody. So Jason uh, brought the, did you bring the whole game and the expansion or just the expansion? Well, you have to have the core game to play it. The expansion. Right. So yeah. <laughs> so, so, so Jason brought hero quest, the original hero quest um, and the expansions that are significantly hard to find. Uh, and in very good condition, he, his were, he brought out he had a dedicated suitcase for this and opened it up on the bed and i've never seen something packed so carefully so tenderly and, and just 
it was the, you would have thought he was packing like either drugs or something that was just the most fragile glass thing you've ever seen. I watching him unpack it. I, it was both hilarious and shocking. And I was kind of scared to play anywhere near the game for a while. <laughs> I remember when like food and drink came out, I was like, well, let's keep that way away from this. Cause this seems like it's a big deal to this guy. And I don't want to like piss him off. But uh, yeah, I just thought it was funny. Cause, and then when we played in the, the hotel lobby and of course it, it's at PAX. So 99% of the people are either vendors or people visiting PAX. So it was all game gamers there were so many people that came up and were like fascinated by seeing a, a full copy of hero quest and, and the expansions that, uh, that you guys had. Uh, I don't know. I had a blast playing and obviously uh, I enjoyed it so much that I jumped in on the Kickstarter uh, for the remake that's coming out later this year, I think. And uh, Jason, Jason and I have uh, slowly, but surely been working our way through uh, hero quest on tabletop simulator. So I just want to say thank you because that has been a lot of fun and has got me into into that game, which I really hadn't played at all before that weekend. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Like, I, I remember, like, you know, you you had never played and you were just like such a great sport and like willing to give it a whirl. And and like it must have been honestly a little terrifying because Jason and I are such like feverish hero quest fanatics were like all right roll uh, you get those skulls yeah kill that orc and <laughs> and um you were ready to go with it and so yeah it's great i uh, that was a, a hell of a i gotta say that's like the the last big thing i did before quarantine and so like anytime i'm in my my i'm trying to search for joy like that that weekend usually comes up in my mind i'm like oh yeah, that was that was definitely the last uh, trip I had because I even remember when we came back, uh, when we were flying back, Jason and I were kind of like, see, it's you were kind of seeing things on the news about oh they might start doing, um, you know, checking people at the airport and things like that. And thankfully we missed that by maybe a week. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a fun trip. That and San Antonio was was beautiful. Like I I, I was stunned by it was it was great. I mean there was a situation that will go unnamed uh, one of the nights we were out, but uh, the food was fantastic and uh, the weather was great. And uh, I enjoyed the trip immensely. Yeah. Glad to, glad Texas. Yeah. He was, he was on cloud nine when he came back, had a hell of a lot of stories to share. I, I, we did almost an entire podcast dedicated to your trip. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jason, for joining us. Uh, I think, uh, I, I think we'll definitely have you back on for, for something because you seem to be a perfect fit for this only because you have that, that retro view and the nostalgia view as well as, uh, as I said, we enjoy creative types on the show and we, we enjoy bringing them back. So certainly if uh, there's anything that you've got coming up in the future and you want to pop in and talk to us about it, uh, absolutely hit us up because we'll get you on. Awesome. I would love that. Thank you for the consideration. You can obviously find us and all our episodes and show information at happyzen.com. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, Happy Zen Podcast. And we're still on Facebook somewhere. Just search Happy Zen Podcast. You'll find us, I think, unless they've shut that site down yet. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Unless, uh, Adam, you got anything? Uh, Nothing. Else thanks, to say? thanks for joining. I appreciate you having me on the show. And it was fun having the, the fun trip down nostalgia lane a little bit there. 
<laughs> oh yeah, anytime. I'm all about it. I want to crack that nut about uh, you know disseminating legitimately good from from nostalgia. It's a fun one to. <laughs> That might be a whole future episode. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, that's it for now, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Bye. Later.